Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today it is a pleasure to have once again with us Mary Trump, uh, the niece of President Donald Trump, who has recently penned a book about the president. She's here to take a few questions and talk some more about her new book and her interactions with President Donald Trump. We'll be right back. Hi, and thanks for coming back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And today with me is the president's niece, Mary Trump. He lies. Every And they're yeah. essentially campaign rallies at this point. So what is the value? Well, that's a good question. I find little real value to it, but it's kind of like, you know, you have to be there because it's the president. And I, I mean, unfortunately, uh. I mean, because that's what the job is, is to cover the president. That's, I mean, yeah. when you cover the president, like we have pool people that are, follow his every move. If he move, and that's the way it's been for every president. Yeah. If he moves, if he goes somewhere, Trump's the only one to take advantage of it to the point where you go like, I really don't care anymore. Right. And, and you know, let, <laughs> I always say, be careful what you wish for, because, you know, there isn't a reporter that doesn't wish that you could have more time with the president. <laughs> but in this case, it's like, nope. no, it's, no, it, no, no, no. It's, it's like too much. And he doesn't say anything. I mean, his, I thought the, the just as low as it's gotten and I know it'll get lower. Um, yeah. Cause I, I have no doubt that whatever happens, it'll, it'll, how low can you go is, I mean, he's the ultimate. You don't want to know. Yeah. I don't want to know, but that over the weekend with the, you know, his so-called press conference and his four uh, executive orders and that shit was just beyond pale and, you know, booing reporters and, having his friends there and, or, you know, kept people there. And that was tough. And then, you know, I know today, like there was, there was, I, thankfully, I don't, I, I, I've limited myself to once a week now. Um, so today it was a one o'clock press briefing with Kaylee. What, what's she going to do? It's like a pep rally. It's like a high school pep rally. That's all it is. Yeah. We pay her salary so she can lie to us every day, basically. Yeah, and, and not even well. I mean, it's no. like rah, rah, sis, boom, bah, you know. I'm, they don't have to. They don't have to. That's what's, and I know it's not up to, you know, you're doing your job, but I, what I, I just don't quite understand like why, well, okay, I'm not naive. I do understand, but a part of me wishes that, you know, the powers that be would sort of band together and say, you know, this guy on a daily basis lies to the American people. We shouldn't be his stenographers, first of all. And secondly, thing, yeah. he's like endangering journalists. 
Yes, yes. My, so, the death threats I've had are uh, weekly, daily. Uh, and so what value, like, what, really? What value do we get out of it? So if you don't show up, then it's just going to be a sycophants that show up. And it'll be, you know, giggle and, you know. But it happens anyway. I mean, I know there's pushback, but, you know, people who watch Fox News aren't, or OAN aren't going to listen to what you say. Right. They're not, they're not going to hear what you say. Because it's not, it doesn't exist in, in, in that, you know, universe. Yeah. So, I, you know. Well, that, you know, there was a friend of mine, Major Garrett, who was the chief correspondent at CBS. Mm -hmm. for, we, we went to college together. Um, oh, really? Yeah. What was funny is we worked at a radio station, a college radio station together. And the one time my mom came to visit college, she goes, I want you to remember that name, Major Garrett. He's going to be something. I go, why is that, Mom? And he goes, she goes, because of his name. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great name, not to say. But he said something I'll never forget when the and he had covered Trump when he uh, when the Donald was still you know running and before that. And he said, um, eventually he'll wear out his welcome because people get tired of you know of him. And he has worn out his welcome to the only people left are the. The, the base yeah yeah what want to say something go ahead well i mean i guess that would that would be more comforting if he weren't still getting away with everything <laughs> you know well, uh you know he's still not being held to account and um the republicans sure won't do it and he comes out and bs is about the democrats and the democrats try but i mean as far as being held accountable by the press i 100 percent agree with you there are so many people in the press that are so willing to have access that they give up their independence and their pushback just to say hey i'm in the same room with the president and like, i refuse to do that well no i know and i, I mean that's that's that one of the reasons off. you're good at what you do because otherwise you're just like a, a lick spittle or something yeah. you know because nothing you get will be of value if yeah, all that matters is being in the room. And the other thing I don't understand is how people who say, how people could still say, you know, it's respect for the office. Nobody has denigrated that office more than, more than he has. So respect for what? And respect for him? I mean, please. I, I think to me, there have been so many last draws, so it's sort of meaningless to say the last draw. But one thing I don't understand how he came back from this with the, uh, press is that is the time when he pushed the chairs closer together and yeah everybody just sat in the chairs and did it and did it what, what the, the fuck, fuck? <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i i, I want yeah. my day there and i'm going what the fuck i mean i try to show some respect to the i, I mean like you know he tells me to the, the last time i got into it with him when he's if you don't be quiet i'm gonna leave and i felt like saying well then fuck you leave but i didn't yeah. Which is what I would have said if it weren't on national television and, and I weren't talking to the president of the United States. I said that, you know, and I basically I just kept trying to ask my question. And there was another douchebag uh, reporter from NBC who tried to interrupt. Everybody gave him grief afterwards for being a douchebag. Um, but it's, it's, it's the douchebaggery, he takes advantage of the douchebaggery of the press. Right. The press uh, kowtows to his douchebaggery. And I've, I, I end up, one of the most frustrating things for me, honestly, is having to fight both ends of it. Yeah, and that's the other thing that has kind of 
been surprising to me since he's attacking you guys as professionals. You're just attacking your profession. Yeah, some people more individually than others, but you know, you're representing- we don't fight back! <laughs> but not only that, there's like very few people stand up for each other. Now, I don't expect that from Fox or OAN, but you know, if you ask a question and he shuts you down, and the next person is from MSNBC or- Why don't we just go, hey, why don't you answer his yep. question? Or just ask, that's ask rare. the same question. Yeah, and that's on rare. and on and on. So that, cause I know, you know, the reporter doesn't want to become the story. So if you say, you know- But he made us the story. That's the argument that I, yeah, you know, they're going, exactly, you're, you're trying exactly. to make us the story. I go, I didn't make us the story. When the right. son of a bitch called me the enemy of the people, Right. When he says fake news, he's making us the story. Right. I mean, but, you know, telling him to fuck off would be making you the story. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, backing each other up and saying, you know, asking, so, um, you know about this Russian bounty story. Why have you done anything about it? He's not going to answer you. That question should be asked by the next 10 people I, until I he has a little temper tantrum and stomps off and, Let you him. know, somebody needs to give him a cookie to calm him down. Well, I and I have... I can tell you that on one hand, the number of people in that room that have backed each other up. I've deferred, I've seen it twice. I, I've done it. Steve uh, Portnoy from CBS Radio has done it. I've seen Jim do it, Acosta. I've seen April do it, Ryan. Yep. Yep. And um, I've seen Yamish do it. And Weejee yep. has done it. But yep. there's a few of us yep. who have, who have, yep. uh, Mr. President, please answer the question. But it's rare because everybody wants their me moment. And then they give you shit for wanting a me moment because you're just trying to do your job. And it's bass backwards. The people who refuse to back each other up are the ones that want the we moment, you know, the me moment. No, it's it's like, you know, how uh, congressional hearings are run. Each person gets five minutes, you know, cede your time to a professional uh, interlocutor maybe, and we <laughs> yeah. can get something done here instead of just grandstanding. And cede your five minutes to somebody who knows what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, that's a slightly I, more straightforward yeah. way of putting it. I've had that conversation with a couple of reporters, younger reporters. They're going, well, I this, I that. There was one of them who drives me nuts. I swear to you, one day after a briefing, I saw this person crying outside of the briefing room. Mm -hmm. I don't get on TV. I'm going to lose my job. I go, well, maybe if you get on TV to ask a question, you could ask a real question and then you won't have to worry about losing your <laughs> yes. job. Yes, do something useful. Yeah, other than Ooh, you know, whining. It's got to be about me. And then you can tell those people too, because they always take five minutes to ask a goddamn question so that the camera's right. on them for five right. minutes instead right. of asking the fucking question, which is what they, right. you know, just ask the fucking question and get on with it. But <laughs> uh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's annoying as shit. So, <laughs> so speaking of which, what I kind of wanted to talk about today. <laughs> speaking is, of annoying things, Donald. <laughs> Donald Trump. Um, if we can today, I'd like to spend some time just going over um, the pathology. <laughs> which one? <laughs> well, let me start. I don't know. I only have four hours until my next <laughs> day. So, uh... Yeah, I, I've only got a lifetime and it's going to be a while. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But the, the conversation I've had with a lot of folks is misogyny, racism, he's guilty of all those things. But I always say, but isn't that part of, and maybe you can say yay or nay or enlighten me a little bit. 
but to me, it's all more a part of, of being a misanthrope. He just hates, I mean, he is a racist. He is a misogynist. He is all those things. But all of that seems to me to be a function of the fact that he's a misanthrope. And we'll be right back after this. Yes, of course, he's a misanthrope. <clears throat> but there's also this hierarchy of hatred, right? Um, Tell me about that. What do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, you start with the uh, most vulnerable. Uh, you hate them most. <laughs> you know, any, any kind of difference is going to be used uh, to prop himself up and make himself feel better. Because, you know, that's why people are racist and misogynist, because they're deeply insecure and uh you know they need to denigrate others like that's why one of the main reasons we're where we are right now is because you know white people in this fucking country have been convinced that you know they're they're sliding into the minority and all of their rights are going to be taken away because you know um when you have rights and other people don't and other people start to get them too it feels like something's being taken away from you <laughs> you know as Just if it's a privilege <laughs> it's a zero right as if it's a zero-sum game and as if uh you know freedom is something that's in short supply or something so uh but yeah i mean the, it's it's the privilege that they will be missing not their rights um right. so you know these are people who've been convinced to vote against their own self-interest because um, they're better than black people. Right. Well, yeah. that's the old uh, um, uh, President Johnson saying that if you can convince, you can convince a, a white person to vote against a black person and by, yep. by getting them to vote against their self-interest by just telling them they're better than someone else and they'll do yeah, it. Exactly. And that, that's, you know, so, so that, that's operating on a really basic level with him. Uh, so, you know, you have whatever the hierarchy is. I, I, my guess is his misogyny runs deeper than his uh, racism, but who cares? Really? I think so, but, um, so. well, because it was, it was personal. In a way, racism wasn't. Um, you know, we, my, there was so much misogyny in my family and when, when, the logistics are terrible, but I also I have my own personal situation, so I have security concerns. Yeah. And for various reasons, like Abe was had a roommate all set and sweet mates, and they split everybody up. I don't know why. So I've spent weeks now making sure that she's in secure housing with her friend because I don't want her to be with a stranger because right. you need right. you need somebody who knows what's going on with me and whatever. And her friend just told her after weeks of dealing with security and housing and whatever, that she's not coming. <laughs> so oh. Now, oh. <laughs> with no conversation, nothing, no hint at all. Like, yeah, no, no, I'm not coming. She's not going to school? She's going to do it virtually, I guess. <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> yeah, basically. So I feel like this is making everybody insane and deeply selfish. Oh, but I, I, I think it brings out the worst. I think the COVID thing has brought out the worst in some people, the best in some, but the worst in others. And I've watched people yeah. just act like complete fools for no reason. And yeah. I, I don't understand it. I, I mean, well, I, I understand the pathology of the human 
species, but right. I don't know why you have to get that way over wearing a mask. <laughs> See, let me think, how did that happen? Yeah, that's, where did that start? <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's, that's a mystery. <laughs> it couldn't have anything to do with a guy in charge, could it? No, not never, never. It's the leaders are meet, have no, no. I thought you had a bird. I, thought, oh. I was going to ask you. He's very you know, jealous. Do you have a, what's his name? Sebastian. Hi, Sebastian. Hello? <laughs> He's like going to be like, what the hell is that? <laughs> How old is he? 23. Wow, you've had him that long? Wow. Yep. Sebastian's something else. Yeah, he's quite handsome and annoying. I have dogs and cats, and I have a cat that's a serial killer. And <laughs> she, she brings home little trophies. She'd bring home Sebastian if she had a chance. I, well, he would not let her. I have a cat, yeah. too, and he is in control of everything in this house. The uh, cat's terrified of him. I, our cat, the other day, brought... Look, the cat isn't that big. It's just a gray tabby. And so the other day, <laughs> in a half hour's time, we let it out. And I come back to the garage. You know, we have one of those little swinging doors in the cut, in the, you know, pet door. Mm -hmm. And she brought back like an eight-pound squirrel. Jesus Christ. I, I, a cat, and the, and the squirrel was like, <laughs> was on its back. And I was like, damn. I, she and the since this has started the lockdown maybe she's getting antsy too but she's brought maybe. home shrews and mice and uh birds and a fruit bat i, I and 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 a squirrel i keep i'm scared that i'm going to open up the door and find a human body she's or, or an elk. <laughs> although on it like <laughs> that would be something yeah. he could bite her paw off though so i think that yeah, yeah. they would end up like killing each other or he would end yeah, up yeah well that's doing, yeah her and the dog have a standoff because one of the dogs because the dog hates cats and can take the cat out but the cat also is very quick yes it's not going out <laughs> it will not go gentle into that good night <laughs> so they both kind of have this standoff going all right look i respect you i don't like you <laughs> But I, I respect, respect your you. power to kill me. Yeah, that's it at the end of the day. So anyway, uh, we were back at uh, the pathology of Donald Trump and talking about uh, him being a misanthrope and a racist and, <laughs> and a misogynist. And all those other charming things he has. So yeah, I, I mean, the, the hatred for the other is, uh, you know, just a way to prop well, himself. his very weak ego up. But um, the the... His being a misanthrope um, is part of his nihilism. Wow. You know, like if you talk about my grandfather, right? And he was sort of your stereotypical tycoon who desperately needed his legacy to outlive him. Uh, like he wanted his empire. Yeah, truly believed that his empire was going to survive in perpetuity, which just shows you how little he knew his son. Um, because, you know, they basically <laughs> sold it off lock, stock and barrel before, you know, my grandmother right. was barely in the ground. Um, Donald, on the other hand, because he's pathological in a way my grandfather wasn't. My grandfather was a very secure in his sense of himself and, uh, you know, never questioned his superiority. 
Donald, of course, is riddled with insecurities. You, you said it last time right. we spoke. He's just so insecure and so frightened all the time. Uh, so he doesn't, he can't believe in, um, he can't believe that he's going to outlast anything, right? So his he's theory gonna, is he will not, is what you're saying. No, he's going to tear it all down. If he feels like he's going down, he's going to bring everybody with him. And he is. Well, that's frightening. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> Nuclear codes. Yeah, yeah. He he yeah. has those. Do you, good lord, do you think he would ever deign to use them? Um, I mean, yeah, but because he's he's very you know he's a nihilist, and he's talked he about in that way. Well. When you're raised by a sociopath who doesn't actually love you and everything's conditional uh, and you spend your entire life terrified and you're really, really angry because you've been abandoned and abused <laughs> from the time you were a little, you know, you're not going to have a lot of um, positive feelings about anything. Think about, think about his, the level of aggrievement we see him demonstrate. How does that make sense? The guy has everything, everything's been given to him uh, ostensibly on right. a silver platter. He's never had to work for anything. He's failed upward in the most spectacular way in human history. Um, what does he have to complain about? He has, you know, unfortunately, um, the most powerful position on the planet. He's, God knows how much money he's stealing from the American taxpayer, how much money he's laundering for. Right other entities, what does he have to complain about? It's all no. he does. <laughs> Why? Because he's very empty and, you know, money in my family stood in for everything else. So, you know, when you've never been loved, when you've never, or at least not properly, when you've never been uh, valued or respected um, in a real way, then nothing can make up for those losses. Nothing. But, you know, he's a human being. He has to try. Well, uh, his, his <laughs> well, yeah, he is human. There are those who th think that he doesn't act that way. Well, I mean, you know, when we use the word human, Nazis were, Hitler was human. The, the concentration camp guards were human. I mean, human isn't necessary. Isn't a good thing, you know. Isn't necessarily. Necessary. Yeah. I mean, humane maybe. He's not humane, but he's human. Yes, he's a mammal. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think Mitch McConnell is, but Donald is. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. God love, knows love. I've said that myself many a time. I, I, I think that Mitch is a is an amphibian, but I yeah. don't think he's good enough to be a reptile. No, nope. um, oh God, no. But, I have but, a gecko, and I can say for a fact that he's not good enough to be a reptile. <laughs> what part of when you say part of his nihilism? What What are we talking about as far as Donald Trump's nihilism? I mean in the strictest terms, do you believe that he's a nihilist? Well, I mean, I don't, not in the strictest terms because he probably doesn't know what that word means, but um, just in the, in the sense that, you know, he has no belief system. Right. Uh, he has 
no philosophy. He has no, uh, he doesn't even have policies, right? So when you don't believe anything and you know deep down that you have no value um, and, and you know deep down that the only way to avoid being found out is to lie, cheat and steal and obfuscate and all that other stuff. And you also know on some level that that, that all may come to an end someday. You're not gonna stand and fight you're not going to stand and try to prove something that can't be proven. You're going to do the only thing you can do to change the subject, which would be to end everything, you know? <laughs> do you think that when, when we talk about Donald Trump, do you think that he is conniving, consciously aware of what he does? Do you, or do you believe that he just flies by the seat of his pants from moment to moment or a combination say- thereof? Yeah, you know, um, I think conniving would suggest, um, conniving to me suggests a certain level of cleverness, which he doesn't possess. Um, But if we use the word instead of conniving, um, like blatantly cheating, you know, and being aware that he's cheating, then I think it's, it's, there is both an awareness of it and uh, it, part of it's an unconscious process too. Like I think the lying a lot of times is totally unconscious and it's it's in the service of protecting himself um, and other people from finding out who he really is. Who is he really? That terrified little boy who's never accomplished anything he claims to have accomplished. Well, when we talk about um, conniving, he, he does, he is manipulative. Mm-hmm. And, and he has successfully manipulated the press for years. And maybe that speaks more to the, uh, <laughs> the uh, mental abilities of the press, but he's also manipulated Congress. But, oh, but has he? I mean, okay, so when we talk about the press, that's, that's, a, that's a system, that's, that's an institution that's bound by certain rules that he's not bound by. Ah. So how hard is it really when you have, when, when um well you have to be conscious of it aware of yeah, it yeah oh he's totally to conscious of that totally like right. that's his thing right um and now again the You're 80s it's like it's, second nature to him to yeah to like that you know that's one of the reasons my grandfather picked him is because he just had that ability to know how to manipulate the media but again in the 80s like how hard was that to do because the media just wanted to sell papers and it was this you know still good, does like but in the 80s, it was a little bit different. Like, I don't know that Donald would get the kind of attention now that he got in the 80s, because he's, he's tainted. Like, if you were just still that idiot on The Apprentice. Right. Um, you know, and especially in New York, like, nobody wants to hear it anymore. Yeah, well, um, yeah. Right? So, like, yeah, maybe The Post, but I, that'd be about it. Um, because I don't <laughs> know. to make fun of him. Eventually. Right, and I don't, I don't even think the Wall Street Journal editorial page would take him seriously. Um, as for the other thing, Congress, who's manipulating whom? Good question. You know, they know Mitch McConnell. Everything else we can say about him, he's not an idiot. No, no, Mitch um, is not an idiot. I don't he's think a narcissist, he's narcissist, but he's not yes, an idiot. Yes, of course. Um, and power hungry and all that other stuff. I mean, I don't even think he's particularly good at his job. Uh, like, how hard is it to get everything you want if you are in charge of 100% of everything, right? Are you talking about Mitch? Yeah. Yeah. 
but um, he knows. I mean, I'm sure he and Barr have nothing but disdain for Donald, but they know how to manipulate him, just like Putin does, just flatter him, you know, because, all right, when you see Mitch McConnell push back, it's like in the, the, the softest possible terms, you know, there's no, never any teeth in it. And he's just like, well, you know, I have to do this just to keep up the pretenses. But, you know, if Donald wants to keep touting Nazis as very fine people, that's cool with me as long as I can shove through some more judges. Well, yeah, he's all about the judges in the last, and, and not legislating anything. That's right. That's yes. right. But, and the crassest part of that manipulation to me was uh, over the weekend when he announces his, when President Trump announces his executive orders and says that the uh, Democrats walked away from the bargaining table when in fact they had passed legislation and it's, it's been sitting there for eight weeks and Mitch McConnell has done nothing with it on the Senate side. And so Donald Trump takes the, the, the opportunity to cut the $600 a week in half to 300 and then try to mandate another 100 out of the states. To me, I look at it and it's like bullshit and I just call it bullshit. How is it he's able to convince some people it isn't bullshit or is he? Um, you mean like voters? Yeah, uh, voters, Congress. I mean, we know why Congress, right. we know why the Republicans are behind it. They don't want to help. But well, why do voters I, buy into something? And that you can speak to that as a, why do voters buy into stuff that's blatantly against their own self-interest? Well, first of all, some of it, you know, we can lay at the feet of some media because if they're not, if they're just, again, acting as a stenographer and not putting things into context or not saying, he said this, but he's lying, you know, instead of like the headline being, Donald says Democrats walked away from the deal. It should be Donald lies about the fact that, but you know, if you're not reading past the headline, you're like, oh, wow. And you're predisposed to hate Democrats and everything they do. Then, you know, it's, a, it's the same thing with, I had a conversation with somebody the other day about people not wearing masks and, you know, just going off on how stupid and self-absorbed and I'm like, okay, all of that may be true. But if your leaders are telling you not to do something, you can't blame the person who's following because that's, you're supposed to be able to believe these people. You voted for and put your trust in. Well, um, he plays both sides of that fence, does he not? I mean, he does say, or at least he has come out recently, he said, wear a mask, but he never wears one. No, that's, he's not, no. He's doing the bare minimum. And I think if, if anything, it just confuses the issue even more. So, um, you know, I maybe because there's not, it's never sustained. My guess is that one or two occasions when he said or did the right thing ish uh, were those occasions were prompted by bad poll numbers that, you know, his aides couldn't keep from him. <laughs> and somebody like sat him down and said, uh, you know, you're going to lose. You need to do X, Y, or Z. That person has probably since been fired. But um, or, or won't know. be listened to anymore. Right, exactly. But you know, he he's a uh, he he's driven by polls. So if somehow reality got through to him, that may have been enough for a very brief occasion for him to force himself. You know, it's just like the time when he apologized for saying that Nazis were great, but then you know, two days later, he's like, nope. 
very fine people. Shouldn't right. have apologized. Don't, how dare you make me apologize. What's the most dangerous part of Donald Trump for the country, do you think? Oh my God, um, everybody else. You know, if, if, if Mitch McConnell, if, if elected Republicans did their job, right donald would be completely dis diffused like he wouldn't have like what could he do i mean seriously if if he were if there were pushback every day in a consistent way you know and just with some media if they did that um we would be having a totally different conversation so you but, think that he highlights the fact that the entire government is broken oh yeah well he highlights the 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 fact that this is a long time coming. You know, he's a symptom. How so? Well, there's been this 40 year project um, to make voters ignorant. Uh, and as we were talking about before, to convince them to vote against their own self-interest, to convince them that, you know, as long as somebody hates the right people or hates the same people you do, um, you know, we don't need to raise the minimum wage or, um, you know, we're only going to use the stock market as the metric that determines the health of the economy, which is absurd. Um, if you can convince people that the myth of American individual individualism is an actual thing so that they are totally cool with having rich people get tax cuts because they can be that rich person someday. <laughs> and that rich people have done it all on their, their own and have never benefited from any government handouts whatsoever. But it's the poor people trying to feed their two kids who work 40 hours a week and three jobs or whatever to make ends meet. They're the ones who, who you know, shouldn't be given $600 a week to survive during a pandemic because uh, it'll just make them lazy and not want to work. When you say over the last 40 years, so are you, are you implying that this uh, <clears throat> started with Ronald Reagan? Let me think, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. I mean, he's all, yes, yes. And, you know, he became quite adept at the dog whistles and yeah. um, I'm not entirely sure how he survived with a good reputation, but. Um, well, he was much smoother talker than the Donald and had the same background. Sure, oh yeah, sure. As far as acting. Yes. Not not the money, but I mean, you know. Right. He, he hobnobbed but, with him and. Yeah, no, but just, you know, no real substance. And, and he was very hateful. I mean, you know, what, how he handled Somebody said something so insane recently, something like, this is the first virus that um, has killed a lot of people because the government isn't, like, have you met AIDS? Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah, we denied that one for a long time. That yeah, and that was, I well, mean, it wasn't worse because denying anything, like denying science is pretty bad, but AIDS, like that was because he hated gay people. Yeah. Which is worse. It, in, just in terms of what it is, right? That always, whenever I hear, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, and that's why I asked you before about the Donald, is that 
whenever someone is so hateful of gay people, I can't understand it. And it usually turns out that they're closeted. Right. <laughs> That's Although, I mean, I don't know how much attention you paid to him before you had to. Yeah, um, as little as possible. I'll be right, honest. of course. So like, I don't remember, and, and again, it, it was a family thing because people didn't really talk about it much, but I don't remember his being particularly homophobic. Yeah, I agree with you, but it's come out now that it, and, but he has gay people working for him and he doesn't. Is that like, is that just an expedient? I think it's, yeah, I, I, in his case, I almost feel like it's just, uh, it goes with, okay, you love me, you hate gays, I'm fine. You know, that type of thing. Right. And the same thing, I mean, he is, I'm sure he's homophobic, but I don't, probably not virulently. Right. I mean, he strikes me as the kind of guy who's totally cool with women being gay, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because of that straight male thing, yeah. <laughs> but is uncomfortable with male homosexuality or transsexuality because he's just uncomfortable with sexuality, right? Ah. Um, so it's, I think he's legitimately homophobic. I think he's more anti-Semitic probably, but you know, oh, yeah. this again is a guy who, because we grew up being anti-Semitic, or I mean, I didn't, but he, 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 his dad, exactly. So, um, tell me about that a little. There's not a lot to say other other than it's just the way it was. You know, like somebody asked me, so he's using the N word, and I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're like, that was mighty casual. I'm like, well, it was. Right. I don't mean to diminish how awful it is. I'm trying to illustrate just how, so like, I can't think of a specific example because it's just the way it was. It was like the water in which they swam, you know? So, um, but you know, and you it's- said something last time though, that <clears throat> about his dad and, and the clan that you felt like he just didn't have a whole lot of time to be too involved because he was, it wasn't a, a meeting to make money basically right right yeah and again not questioning it like it's not like he wouldn't you know share the uh perspective of the glen but the other thing too is that and this isn't at all to defend them because it's disgusting either way but like there was nothing really virulent about it and i think that's partially because with like what black people were they ever around right you know, other than or gay the one people or black chauffeur, yeah, or people or exactly, and and with Jews, like my grandfather needed, like he was very hooked into the Brooklyn Democratic Party, which was, I mean, we had Bunny Lindenbaum and we had, um, oh God, what's his name? Bill Clinton. <laughs> I can't, I can't think of it. But anyway, like there, the, a lot of New York Jews were uh, in, in, in real estate at my grandfather's level or even more successful. A lot of people, Abe Lindenbaum. No, Abe, the, he was mayor. Abe Beam, uh, sorry. Abe Beam. Beam, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's like with, with Donald and, and Jared Kirshner, he's not going to be anti-Semitic to his face. Right. You know? And Jared is just a grifter. So he's like totally cool with any anti-Semitic policies that are going to get them what they want, you know? So- um, Well, like father, like son. Right. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. So um, it was just like, I don't even know if they were particularly unusual for their time and place and station in terms of their, you know, misogyny and, and racism and homophobia, not homophobic, anti-Semitism, you know, it's just like kind of the way it was. And if you live in a neighborhood that's 100% white and 100% Christian, and you get driven to your 100% white school um, and go to your 100% white military academy, like how are your horizons going to be broadened? And I think that's like part of why my dad found it increasingly difficult as he got older to um, turn a blind eye, you know, because he was in a Jewish fraternity at Lehigh. He was in the ROTC, he was in the flying club, you know, he, he was a pilot. So his horizons were broadened and he understood that there were different perspectives and then there were, there were different things that mattered, right? So right. like, it's not an accident to me that like the first, Ita when my, the first Italian American uh, family moved into the neighborhood, my grandfather was just absolutely horrified and incensed. And my dad became really good friends with one of their, the daughters in that family because he just wasn't like that. What was it like growing up Trump? I have no idea because I, I didn't in a lot of ways. Like That's I didn't right. in ways that mattered. I grew up, I lived in Jamaica, which was five, like literally the next town over, but it may as well have been in a different uh, galaxy because it was lower class, lower middle class, working class. In the 70s, it was predominantly African-American segregated but still like segregated by my street, you know, all the whites right. on the North side, all the blacks on the South side. But I took the subway to school every day. You know, I saw what, what was actually the reality of uh, living in a black neighborhood and I never understood the racism. Uh, I went to a school that was predominantly Jewish. I never understood the anti-Semitism. but you know, um, other than, cause also you got to write, we're like, we didn't do much. You know, we uh, we either were at my grandparents' house or we celebrated holidays at their uh, all-white and Christian country club or- uh, And what was that like for you? If you had, if you grew up the way you grew up and then going there, what was, how was that different for you? And what did you see different? Well, it was always pretty, for example, my um, grandfather would sometimes send his limo to pick us up. And it made me very self-conscious because I mean, I mean, when I was young, like, you know, younger than 10, it made me very, very self-conscious because it clashed completely with the life I lived in Jamaica. But at the same time, like it gave me this very um, awful sense of superiority, right. which I hated, but I, it just did. Um, I've long since grown out of that. But um, so it was like only in those moments where there was a real, when there was the juxtaposition between the way I lived most of my life and then the, the way Trump's lived, I guess. But there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of that because um, we didn't go anywhere. You know, my grandparents, as rich as my grandfather was, he didn't he didn't live like an enormously wealthy, he definitely lived like an upper middle class person, but he did, you know, there was nothing, We did, there were no private planes and there were no vacations and there were no, other than the chauffeur, like this is a man who works six days a week and in his shitty office and on Avenue Z and, um, you know, there were no trappings of wealth, really. How often did you see your grandfather and how did he treat you when you did? 
Oh, I was over there a lot. Um, I mean, he probably wasn't there as much uh, when I was there because he worked on Saturdays. But, you know, on Sunday, he, I, it's hard to say because it was just the way it was. Uh, not that that's very helpful, but, um, you know, like he treated all of us kind of the same, kind of dismissively, <laughs> um, you know, and like we never had like personal conversations really. Um, you know, he would ask how school was going. Great. Uh, What's your fondest memory of him? Actually, there's only one. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, because remember, this is a man who is not affectionate. Like, we literally shook hands and kissed on the cheek. That was the standard greeting between men and women in the family. Like, I never, he never hugged him. Wow. He never hugged me. Um, when I was young, like it was maybe four, we'd sit on the library, sit in the library. He'd be on his spot on the love seat next to the telephone table, we called it. And, um, he had these, uh, pads of scratch paper and his blue fair markers. And he was, he was really good with numbers, really, really good with numbers. Like if, you know, he could write a call of like five digit numbers, like, column of 10 of them and he would know this sum immediately. It was wow. kind of, yeah, it was really freaky. So um, he'd put me on his knee and he would write a bunch of columns of numbers and I would add them up. And he would teach me how to spell long words, forwards and backwards. Um, and that's it, like that's, that's it. I mean, I, I, it happened more than once certainly, but then it just stopped happening and that was the closest we ever got. <laughs> What's your fondest memory of the Donald? I think it was, um, he was in, um, I was in college and he was already in the Trump Tower office and I had driven down, I was at Tufts at the time and I had driven down to the city with a couple of friends and like an idiot, I parked illegally. Uh, so, you know, we were literally just in for like a, like a, a college kid. You parked illegally. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and it was just like a one day road trip. I don't remember why we were in town, but anyway, we go, we're, we're ready to go back to Boston and the car is gone. So these two friends and like, we're wearing jeans and sneakers and, you know, like college kids do. And, uh, I just, we just went up to his office. I said, Hey, Rona, Donald in. I just have a favor to ask of him. So I go right in because as I learned years later, he didn't really do anything. <laughs> so there was never anything to interrupt. And I told him what had happened and he just pulled out his wallet and gave me a hundred dollars. And he said, here you go, honey, but don't worry about it. It's fine. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. And I mean, he could have been a total asshole about it. Like my grandfather would have been awful about it. My uncle Rob probably would have been awful about it, but he wasn't, he was actually, I mean, I don't, I don't think I was shocked, but I'd never done any, like I'd never asked him for anything before. So who knew? Right. Well, so yeah, well, I have, that's a very fond memory I have. What's your least fond memory of him prior to writing the book? <laughs> yeah, because that introduced a whole new set of uh, yeah. <laughs> unfond memories. Um, I, you know, it, it was probably... Um, right after my dad died and we were at the house and they were planning the funeral and I was completely freaked out because I heard them talking about burying his ashes, which 
was horrifying to me. Um, like there was a reason my father didn't want to be buried. So um, he was in a library with the phone in his hand and I was just like, you know, are they, I mean, is that really something they're thinking of doing? You know, and I was 16, I was in shock. My father literally just died the day before. My grandfather lied to me about it. So I was wait, looking wait, wait, for- Wait, 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 what? He, the, your grandfather lied to you about your dad dying? Yeah, I was at boarding school and um, we were at a, the auditorium watching a movie and um, this phys ed teacher whom I'd known cause she was a counselor at the camp I'd gone to forever. She um, pulled me out and she said, you need to call home. If your mother's not home, you need to call your grandparents. Which I thought was very weird cause it was like 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. So uh, I thought it was, you know, my dad was sick or my grandmother was sick or something. And um, my grandmother answered, she handed the phone over to my grandfather immediately. And I, and I said, what is, what's, what's wrong? It's like, oh, it's, it's your father, but don't worry about it. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> what's going on? He's like, well, he's in the hospital, but it's, it's going to be fine. Just call your mother in the morning. I'm like, well, is it his heart? <laughs> Cause he'd had open heart surgery three years earlier. And he's like, yes, it's his heart. It's like, well, then it's serious. It's like, yeah, I'd say it's serious, but just go to, go to bed and call your mother in the morning. Okay. So of course I called my mother immediately. My father had been dead for a couple of hours and obviously my grandfather knew this. So. And how did he die again? I don't know. Uh, cause nobody ever told me and, uh, he died alone and the death certificate says natural causes, which at 42 seems odd to me. What? Because we're always led to believe that it was alcoholism and that he drank himself to death was the story that I was told. I mean, that's probably true. You know, he had, he had a mitral valve replaced when he was 39 and never stopped smoking or drinking. So I'm sure that didn't help, but, um, but the specific circumstances, you don't know. No idea. Nobody ever talked to me about it. And the birth certificate, I mean, sorry, the death certificate, I don't know. Like, I always just, I don't know anything about this, but I just figured like, that's when you do an autopsy, you know, somebody dies right. at 42. Right. You, so, all right. So that, all right. I took care of that part, which was <laughs> now the part about the Donald that was. Yeah. Reason. So, so I was We're like, do you about know? Bearing his ashes. Yeah. And I was like, you know, that that's not what dad wanted. Right. You understand that. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's up to your, it's up to your grandfather. I'm like, and then he like starts dialing the phone. I'm like, thank you for this very lovely chat, Uncle Donald. And he was just like, come on, go. It's not, it's none of your business. Go away. I'm busy doing important things. Did you ever feel like your your father and 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 Donald were close or no? Um, I mean, I know age difference doesn't necessarily matter in whether you're close right. to somebody or not, but they were seven and a half years apart. And back then. Um, you know, it wasn't just the, the age difference as it was as if they belonged to two entirely different generations. My dad was very much of the fifties. You know, he got married when he was 23. He had his first kid when he was. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm trying to do these very <laughs> difficult arithmetic in my head. Um, oh yeah. 24 when he had his first kid. It's crazy. Like there's a picture of him and my mother holding my brother who was a newborn and they look like they're 12. It's and just terrifying. What year was your dad born? 
He was born in 38. Ah, same so, as my mom. My mom and dad were born that year. Right. And they did stupid things like get married at 23 right, and right. have children and exactly right away. Right. They got married at 21 and they look like they're about 12 holding yeah. me. Exactly. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, I, I am, that's, I'm not doing that ever. And the Donald is actually, I mean, he's the quintessential baby boomer. Right. And, you know, and also a child of the, not of the 60s, certainly, but of the 70s in, in the sense that, you know, just like a partier and a single guy. And so when, like, I think it was almost as if they had more uh, years between them because when Donald was in college, my dad was a married man with children already. Yeah, Donald is more of the Studio 54 variety. Uh, precisely, yeah. He says he does, you know. <laughs> oh, and my a... dad, by the way, was the a Co Copacabana guy. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> there you go. That's oh, everything really? right there. That's that's a, so your dad was like Copacabana and, and Donald like, that's, that's telling right there. <laughs> I think um, we're, our work here is done. Yeah. It explains it all. That's, that says a lot. Um, <laughs> there's a story I have to share with you, and I'd love I'd loved your insight into it. We were standing, me and Peter Alexander were on the South Lawn of the White House one day, and we were talking about the uh, SCOTUS nominee, um, uh, Kavanaugh, and asking the Donald questions about Kavanaugh. And he said, um, I... It, the president looks at it, Peter and says, you know, I'm the odd one. I'm the odd one. I never drank. I never drank. I said, well, excuse me. He goes, yeah, I'm the odd one. And I go, well, tell us something we don't know. <laughs> and, and, he, and he looked at me with this look and, and he goes, look, I never tried alcohol. I, everybody else did and I didn't. And I said, did you ever try anything else? And he gets this big grin on his face and he points at me with two fingers and he goes, no, I never tried anything else. And then uh -huh. he walked off. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. So what's the uh -huh. truth? <laughs> oh, man. Well, first of all, when he says everybody is like, is he saying that his parents were alcoholics? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> um, although, that's a story for another time. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> were they? <laughs> my grandmother had some problems, but, you know, I cut her a lot of slack because I thought she actually cared that my father did. Uh, Oops, we all make mistakes. Um, you know, there's there's just no way for me to know because um, we never saw anything. I did not, but you know the rumors of cocaine and Adderall. Abuse yeah, I mean, that, I guess what I would say is, would anybody be surprised? No, I. I but and I and I don't take his statement that he has never had a drink to heart either because. I've seen, I, I mean, maybe he drank in moderation or he only did it in social settings or made it look like there was a drink there, but I've seen photos of him at parties with drinks at his table and he has one. So, Wait, and also it's like, okay, if it's because my dad was just this object lesson to him, my dad didn't start his drinking, he didn't start drinking in an out of control alcoholic way until like 1964. Uh, Donald was in college already. Oh wait, no, he wasn't. He was graduated from high school, but I don't know. I mean, don't tell anybody, but I too drank in high school. <laughs> but you know, and I did more me, than that. <laughs> actually, I didn't. I never did drugs, unfortunately for Donald, because he he liked to tell people that I did. But whatever. Um, yes, I've heard that. Yes, made a better story. Um, so, 
I think part well, of- I did inhale and I can't deny it. So there, I even exhaled on occasion. Well, you can be president of them. Because <laughs> it's okay now. Um, you know, and as for the drug thing, his did not, like, it's not just that the, the milieu he traveled in, um, like everybody but him is snorting cocaine. Okay, fine. But it's also the, he would totally, he's totally capable of that hypocrisy. Well, I made, I made you drugs, but I never drank. Right. So only losers like Freddie drink. Do you think that was part of it? Do you think he was subtly putting his brother down? Or not so subtly. Or not so subtly. Yeah. Yeah, because he can't help himself. You know. All right. You got to explain something to me, though. I've been to his rallies. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, no more so than me. And he always has the the music playing beforehand. And I have to tell you, this is completely it seems to me to be outside of his character but i actually likes i mean some of the music that he plays at his rallies is warm up my band plays i, right. I mean the, the, does he have a decent taste in music that i'm missing does he choose the music apparently yeah okay well look um apparently he personally chooses every tune i've been told i mean it surprises me that he doesn't have horrible taste in music. Like, um, you know, uh, it doesn't surprise me that, look, I, he's a, he was very much of his generation in some ways, TV, you know, movies, um, and consumed them in a way that uh, made sense, both for, for the, time but also because there was none of that in my grandparents house and i think these those kids were just starved my um dad uh we found a a huge box of old 78s in our incinerator room once and i'd never seen my father so happy you know really? because there was no music in the house there were no books in the house there was no art in the house there was no culture of any kind except television. And uh, yeah, so it doesn't surprise me. That, me that the Donald grew up in a house with no art, no music, nothing but a television. Right. I mean, Liz had, I mean, I don't know what they had in their own rooms. Like my dad had a portable transistor radio and my Aunt Elizabeth had a, a one of those portable cassette tape things. Right. Um, and I know this because I was I, I would hide out in her room a lot listening to uh, Neil Diamond's Greatest Hits Volume One, which I subsequently stole from her. Um, <laughs> we won't tell. <laughs> genetics, man. What can I tell you? Uh, so it was almost like it was this surreptitious thing. Like if you wanted to listen to music or or anything, the only room that had books in it was Marianne's bedroom. <laughs> really <laughs> weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a room called the library that didn't have a book in it until The Art of the Deal came out. Uh, I, I, what was in the library? <laughs> well, first of all, there's a room we, it's like, that's the room we hung out in most of the time. That's where the TV was. There was only one. And um, it was basically just studio photographs of family and, you know, does that sound draconian to anybody but me? I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot. Of, I mean, it's almost 
That's almost like a Saturday Night Live parody. I mean, you have a lot. There's nothing in the library yeah. but a TV and studio photographs in the library. Yeah. No books. No, and that's because like my grand, it's like my grandfather had this idea of what people in his, in his position were supposed to do, but he didn't really understand it. So, you know, you should have a room called the lab. The only thing that surprised me is that they didn't have a room called the conservatory. <laughs> um, you know, without <laughs> musical instruments or plants. Um, in the conservatory. Yeah, we just had dishes. <laughs> and a sink. <laughs> Typewriter, whatever. I don't know. Like some random non-conservatory. Yeah. So, because, you know, should be a controller or something. I, I okay. There's a there's. I got to tell you, that's a mental image you just can't shake. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, skipping ahead, since this book, and you've hinted at it a couple of it, you've had threats. You've had um, you've had some hate mail, I assume. How? Has, oh, I, ha I haven't had threats that I'm aware of. Although I do have uh, somebody searching the dark web just to be on the lookout. Um, but have. yeah, I've had hate mail sent to my house which is not fun but yeah well I, uh, you know yeah. like i got stacks <laughs> what how has your life changed it hasn't um which sounds ridiculous but because i'm stuck in my house so <laughs> like on the one hand yeah I, I mean i'm meeting a bunch of people virtually which is great and i'm having these really for the most part interesting conversations um, but nothing's changed because we're in the middle of a plague and I'm not going anywhere and there's no book tour and there are no studio appearances and, um, it's very weird. How has your association with Donald changed your life? Well, I mean, if it weren't for him, I wouldn't have written the book. And I do think that ultimately assuming you know we start getting control of this virus um my life will change pretty radically um so i think you know i'll have more opportunities i'll be able to um you know like i already have some opportunities like i'm i'm work starting to work with some organizations like greenpeace and um this is our lane, which is a gun control advocacy group, and God bless. You know, and that's well, that's that's what that's one of the major reasons I wanted to do this so that I could have a platform and use it for those kinds of things. Um, but all of that having been said, I would much rather have not had to be in the position to write this book. Why did you? Why did you write the book ultimately? Well, because he's going to say it was for money. Oh yeah, that's all it. Because you know, before you write a book, you absolutely know that it's going to make you trillions <laughs> of dollars, and it's going to be successful, and people are going to love you universally, <laughs> and it's going to be well reviewed, and it's going to be published at the exact perfect time. Yeah, <laughs> I knew all of that two you, years ago. You know, because I'm psychic. You know my publisher. <laughs> <laughs> That's what so, they always tell you. <laughs> what? That's what they always tell you. Yeah. Don't worry, Brian, you're gonna make this is why you're writing it. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, so obviously none of that was the case. Um 
Well, you know, because he was he's in the Oval Office. And I think if if um, even if that had been the case and the Republicans, elected Republicans had done their job, I I wouldn't have done this because I wouldn't have needed he would have been a bad uh I can't use that word. He would have been bad at his job, but it wouldn't have been catastrophic. And it has. Because he would have been contained. And because he hasn't been contained, um, here we are, you know. Um, and as a psychologist, you could, I mean, that's the thing that I think is the most interesting part of the fact that you've, you've written the book, not just that he's your uncle, but what you do for a living puts, it, I mean, brings it into stark relief against everything yeah. else that I've read. And yeah. I have read everything that, uh, on, you know, I even read the Mueller report. I mean, a lot of people, <laughs> I mean, you know, the Mueller report, yeah, I, I've read the whole thing. I've got it, you know, and, and anybody who makes a comment about it, I always ask them, did you read it? And they go, no, I go, then shut up. But that's right. Cause otherwise you, if you've only read Barr's memo, I don't think oh that's Oh my God, no, that's, uh, I had someone who was criticizing it and I said, did you read it? And they go, no, that's what I count on you for. And I go, okay, <laughs> I read it. Then why aren't you listening to what I had to say? Cause you're lying. Wow. What the fuck kind of logic is that? <laughs> yeah, honest to God. <laughs> and they're in government. Um, but, and, and they work in the Oval Office. <laughs> um, Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> but when I read your book, the thing that I find, um, I, I guess, it validates a lot of the things that I've seen over the last three and a half years and puts them in context to me. Yeah. As to, to what, and, and it's what you do for a living that I find fascinating and, and evaluating Donald Trump. But how can, how can, for those who say, look, you just got an ax to grind, I'm looking at what you've got to offer me as, as far as, as intellect and, and education and closeness and not saying that it's an ax to grind, it's an insight. What do you right. tell those people that, that hey, you just, you, you're using your degree to, to you know, uh, as an ax? Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to clarify something. I'm not, I am not um, a practicing psychologist right now. I, I've been out of the field for a really long time. Um, I mean, I still felt you still have the knowledge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But I just wanted to. Yeah, be clear. no, I appreciate that. But yeah, I know that, and that'll be in the context of how we do it. Yeah, and um, but yeah, of course, I felt totally. Although I have to say, though, it's still, it's really gratifying and validating to have people who are practicing in the field still psychiatrists psychologists whatever saying that i that i was spot on like that's really nice because yeah. you know if i hadn't been it would have been a disaster <laughs> uh, so what, what i would say to people well i think your answer is a good one well so what is it accurate you know does right. it paint a picture that makes sense to us does it have explanatory power I think it does. And secondly, um, I, di I did not write this book because I have an ax to grind. Um, if I had wanted, people <laughs> said revenge and money seemed to be my two motives. Yeah, right. I could have done it 10 years ago when I wasn't a whistleblower. Like he was still a very public figure. Um, you know, just then is now, like there's no, would it have been successful then? Who knew? Who wouldn't like? Right. Just like we, I didn't know that it would land as well as it's landed now. It could have like if it had been published in April, which it was originally supposed to be, it would have been. We would we would never be having this conversation, probably. Um, anyway, uh, so it's certainly not for either of those reasons. 
Um, but let's put it this way. Even if it were, um, you know, based, this is not a subjective thing, but based on investigative reporting from the New York Times uh, that they, you know, and the conclusions they came to based in part on documents that I had in my possession, um, I was defrauded by my family of a lot of money. So, I mean, am I just supposed to say, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, well. <laughs> my bad. That's because seriously, like, somebody, that's okay. <laughs> it's like if somebody, you know, you say to somebody, well, all right, if somebody stole $50,000 from you and they got away with it, and then 10 years later, you were able to track them down, hold them to justice, and get your money back, would you just say, yeah, it's all right, bygones? Yeah, well, in this case, and, and to put up, uh, you know, to, to put the exclamation point on the end of that sentence, in this case, it's not just you that's been defrauded, it's the entire country. Well, there's that too. Uh, yeah. And so, so when everybody, when anybody says the money thing, I'm like, as I said earlier, you, you never, like, you don't know if you're going to make your advance back, let alone sell enough books to make money. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> because I was told repeatedly, well, there's so many books about him. Eh, who knows if it's going to, anybody's going to care. Yeah. And as for revenge, I'd like to call it justice actually. Because when somebody wrongs you and you write that wrong, how is that revenge? No, and that, that is justice. Yeah. We've all been wronged in many ways by many, many people, which is why, you know, if all goes well in November, we need to find out what the hell happened and hold people accountable. I, 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 I look, you're preaching the choir on that one. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> but the, the thing that I, I the thing that, you brain, uh, I mean, in reading what you wrote, and I have to tell you, I, I, I loved it. I did love it. Um, sitting there reading it and having to sit through, there were so many times that I just felt so, I don't even know the word, the, the ennui that I felt like in the East Room, the day after he was, you know, voted, uh, the Senate voted, you know, not to, uh, you know, confirm the impeachment. Yeah. And it was like, I, there was a line in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when, uh, you know, his dad and him are in Nazi Germany. He goes, my boy, we are pilgrims in an unholy land. And that's... And Hi, I, Sean. Yeah, and I, and I sat there and I, I thought Sean Connery was in my ear saying that because I'm sitting in the East Room and it's all this, they're, they're all this cheering and, and, and they're cheering the fact that the guy didn't can, get convicted, but they are not at all addressing the issue that he got, you know, impeached on. And it, and all these people are just sucking up to him and I'm watching him and it's this glowing thing that he feels like he's done something great. And I felt unclean being in that room. But that's the important distinction between you and somebody like him. He did in his mind do something great. He got away with it. That's great. For oh him. my God. That's like, that's, of course. You get away with it. It's not, it's not like you need to, what, all right. For my grandfather. You gotta tell me this one. <laughs> well, no, but, it, but it's, it's actually fairly simple. Um, my grandfather treated his family like a zero sum game, right? One winner, everybody else loses. So it's not like it's the person who does the best and tries the hardest and is the most um, dignified and 
an honorable who wins. No, it's the person who's willing to step all over the people who are those things to cheat, lie, and steal to win. So, That's course, not the presidency. Does he not have an awareness of what the... I, I, did he run for president to win or just to increase his brand? Well, initially it was to uh, increase his brand, but I think when he got the nomination, I think a couple of things happened simultaneously. He got the nomination because Republicans ran this horrible uh, primary. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And um, he studied, he knew that he was going to get assistance from outside sources, shall we say. Um, he also started to. Yeah. And he had learned throughout the primary that he was getting away with everything. So he could just keep pushing that envelope. Okay, so I've been really racist and anti-immigrant. Now let me try to like denigrate war heroes and insult gold star families and mock disabled people and admit publicly, not publicly, admit on tape that I've committed sexual assault many times. So the bar gets lower and the field goals keep getting pushed down the field and he's getting away with all of it. And I think at some point he was like, wow, this could happen because he doesn't like, he doesn't want to lose. Right. So anybody says that, I'm sorry. Like the primary was one thing. The general was a completely different animal. Um, plus I have no doubt in my mind, he was surrounded by people telling him how much money he could make if he were in the Oval Office. Yeah, he could loot it. Yep. And he's done that. I mean, And I'm sure Putin was like, oh, Trump Tower, Moscow. So tell me about that. You, you don't think there's any doubt that he was in Kahootin with Putin? I mean, again, I don't know, but it seems so obvious to me that if, um, you know, we had been allowed to hold a proper... Uh, you know, he should have been impeached off of the Mueller report. Good, um, good Lord, yes. Right? He should have been so, removed from office. There are 10, 10 different instances of obstruction of justice that they outline in there. And I don't understand why Mueller didn't go further. I don't, I don't, I, I, for the life of me, I don't understand any of the reaction to this guy. Um, Robert Mueller was the wrong man uh, at the wrong time. He was operating according to a code that he did not realize no longer exists, uh, which was a tragedy for him and for us. Um, I can only imagine what was going on behind the scenes, certainly with Rod Rosenstein, but then as soon as Barr got in there, I mean, who knows what was disappeared um, or what threats were made. And I think, you know, I think it was a mistake because I think I'm I'm just as interested in part one as I am, or volume one as I'm in volume two of the Mueller report. But I think that even if the Democrats had started impeachment proceedings, which they should have done, yeah, um, the same thing would have happened that happened the last time. They would have been stonewalled and nobody would have testified and they wouldn't have gotten any documents and it would have ended up being the same thing. I don't think that's a reason not to do it. Bill Barr should be dragged in front of the House for impeachment hearings. Even if he doesn't get removed, people need to know um, he's a criminal. That he's a criminal and that, and, and this is the main reason to do it though, is that, is so people understand just what Republicans are willing to do to 
uh, keep everybody on their side from being held accountable. So, you know, it's not just that Bill Barr didn't get removed from office, it's that, or that Donald didn't, it's that the Republicans refused to do that knowing, knowing that they're both traitors to this country. And when I hear you talk, and this is, it sounds to me like what you're saying, and others have said it, so I'll just ask for confirmation or you can expand upon it, but Donald Trump has enabled the worst parts of the GOP. He enables the worst actors to do their worst because they see he got away with it so that they can now get away with it. Is that fair? That's entirely fair. And that, I mean, this is one of the things I write about that I find so extraordinary. It's not, you know, strong people are enabling Donald and using him, but it's people weaker than he is who are keeping him where he is. Can you imagine being weaker than Donald? Yes, it's called the U.S. Senate. <laughs> and most the Republicans and, in the House. Yeah. I, I mean, but it, but not like for some of them, like McConnell, it's it's an expedient. He's not weaker than Donald. He's no, using. Uh, he's, but yeah, the rest of them. Yeah, Lindsey Graham, uh, Matt Gates, Ted Cruz, John, uh, Jim Jordan, Devin oh, Nunez, and on and on and on and on and on. It's just who knew? Because I, I mean, I would have said up until now that he was the weakest person I'd ever met. I was wrong. And there's strength in numbers of weak people. These are all people that were always picked last for kick. I, I swear <laughs> to God, every time I run into them, they remind me of the kids that were picked last for kickball. <laughs> And, and you know wore short pants and crapped their drawers until they were 12. That's right. And, and now you know that they have some tiny bit of power. They're going to suck up to the guy who has a lot of power. And put the rest of us at, at risk. That's right. Do you think that Donald has any aware or he's aware of the fact that he puts people at risk or the nation at risk or do you think he doesn't care? He or, doesn't care. I mean it could be both because <clears throat> no, no, no. It's really, it is hard to know if he knows, but I, I, what I can say is that if he were aware of it, he still wouldn't care. That's, you know, I, I ha if he weren't, I think I've told you this before, if he weren't the president of the United States, part of me would feel sorry for him Yeah. because I've seen him in, <clears throat> and that would probably piss him off more than anything else, I, I think. Yeah, but, so tell that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I don't care. But right. but when I sit and I talk to him, and when I and he will, his people will never agree for him to have a a one on one sit down with me. Although I've asked for it many times, they're not going to put him in that. I mean, uh, Swift from you know John Swift from uh, Axios, Swan. just by studying, you know, and and actually doing his you know job and asking questions, put him you know, at risk there. And I would be much more. Oh, yeah. Forceful. Oh, it, would, it would be a bloodbath. Yeah. It's, but when I when I have had time before him or when he's answered my questions and when I've been in close proximity to him, I almost get the feeling like there's part of him that likes A, the fight and B, strong people. But he, he but he's afraid of them at the same time. Oh, yeah. it, does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's totally, and, and I mean, not just stronger, but smarter. That really freaks him out. Why didn't he hire smarter people? Because then they would outshine him. Well, that's one of the reasons why I guess Scaramucci only lasted 11 days. Because <laughs> <Yeah. he's, 
he lasted one Scaramucci. Well, he did, 11 days, one Scaramucci. <laughs> yeah, don't say 10 to, to the Mooch. He gets upset. You got to tell him it's 11. He, he That's has... right. That's right. It's like the new Friedman unit. <laughs> Where do you see us going forward? Do you think that we can recover from the Donald? Well, we should be able to, but it's going to require the kind of concerted, sustained, brave effort this country doesn't seem to be particularly good at. Um, yeah, uh, look, if nobody's held accountable or if people aren't held accountable in the right way, then no. Yeah. Because every time we let things slide, things get worse. Like think about how much exponentially worse things are now than, than they were with Nixon. <laughs> And it's not just, you know, it wasn't just Nixon. It was um, Reagan, Nixon, HW, Bush. and Iran Contra, Bush, yeah. and Torch. I mean, you know, nobody, like, we've got war criminals walking around getting paid millions of dollars to be commentators or to be adjuncts at universities or whatever. Yeah. How, did, how did Donald end up in the Republican Party? Your family is not notoriously Republican, is it? I think most people in my family were Republican, like my parents were, but it was very different thing to be Republican in the 60s. Yes. It was a very, very, very different thing. Um, so no, I think it's because- um, He never acted like a Republican. <laughs> no, he, no, he never did. I think it's more that it, it he saw it as, a, as an opening. One, I think being able to be openly hateful probably <laughs> appealed to him. Um, but you know, there's no room for him in the Democratic Party. Yeah, because he would have to be. There, I'm not entirely sure how to put it, but without sounding totally partisan, but there, there's just no room for him in the Democratic Party. He couldn't sustain the illusion that he cared for long enough. You know. <laughs> well, I think it. I thought. I. I think. Um, best assessment I heard of that is that. He, he's an opportunist and there was an opportunity. Right. And that's, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, could you imagine Democrats supporting him in a primary? No. <laughs> exactly. You know, he knows, he's not totally. Only the, and the Republicans only started supporting him when, when he started getting money and votes. <laughs> For being Racist, yeah. misogynistic, anti-immigrant, hateful for being hateful, basically. Yeah. And saying, I'm going to protect your whiteness because that's the only thing that matters. What's this done to your family and the Trump name? Oh, well, I hope since there, I think there's this legal mechanism by which I can change my last name. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I hope that there's no future for them in any any forum, whether it's the, whether it's politics or, or business or anything, you know, they should all be absolutely maligned and, you know, not allowed to profit off of any of this. Um, and that's just not Donald, you're talking about his kids too. Right. And, you know, as for the rest of, you know, my aunts and other uncle, what's it done? You know, they, they could have stopped this and they didn't do anything. So Join us for some final thoughts just after this.
So as we wrap up today with Mary Trump, just a few more questions. One of the last things I know I've had you for a while here and I appreciate it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> And, and still got a lot more to cover, but I don't want to do it all at once. <laughs> but what's it done for, what do you think of his kids? How did you, you grew up, you know, some of them are younger than you, but I mean, you knew them. What's, what's it, how do you think his children are uh, complicit in this? And do you think that there's a future for them at all? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I mean, I, I can only answer that as as, as a, in, an observer because they're much young. Uh, what's it? Yeah. Donnie's 12 years younger. Ivanka's 16 years younger. So we're totally different generation. And this might come as a shock to you, but my family wasn't really good at like bringing us all together and making <laughs> sure we were close. So um, like I was I'm really outside of things and, you know, like I was in college and then I was an adult. So, you know, I only saw them on holidays and your impressions uh, that they were just really spoiled and fairly disrespectful um but i mean they were kids so i don't know i didn't really think anything of it um and now i think well, there are plenty of people who say the same thing about them now well Dick, look at i mean these are these are three people who have never worked independently a day in their life They've never supported themselves, kind of like their dad. Um, you know, their money is family money. Um, they've basically profited off the same myth uh, that Donald did, and they've they've they offer nothing. Um, you know, I don't understand how a senior White House advisor is allowed to make thirty-six million dollars uh, while serving serving. Uh, as a senior White House advisor, um, and you know, I know, I know this appeals to a certain portion of the Republican Party, but Don, Donnie is just a disgusting racist and murderer of endangered species, and he's very—he's not bright. Gee, you're so, being kind. I'm sorry. I said, you're being kind. I've yeah. seen him in the White House. I, I watched him, honest to God, walk in the wrong door once. But that's... <laughs> no, because he's deeply stupid. And I wouldn't even say that because it's not his fault. Like, it's not your fault to be stupid. But when you're arrogant and, you know, um, are proving that the Dunning-Kruger effect is a thing every day of your life, then, you know... <laughs> Um, <laughs> you like that? <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like the way you said it too. <laughs> delivery. Yeah, that delivery is everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and to call Eric the smart one is kind of <laughs> scary too. But <laughs> a smart enough to steal money from children with cancer. Um, so they, they deserve no role. They, they should have absolutely, the fact that we even have to be talking about them shows you what horrible shape this country is in. Well, I think that after this past weekend, and this is just me, but having the president of the United States lie to us on four executive orders because the Congress couldn't come to terms with helping out poor working Americans during the time of a pandemic 
tells me how really fucked this country is. But Republicans in Congress, yeah. Yeah, it's Republican. And, you know, look, I give people, you know, I, I give people shit all the time on either side of the, the aisle. Yeah, I was not real happy with, uh, with Barack Obama using the Espionage Act nine times to come after whistleblowers. Yep. But there was always, and, and, and George Bush Jr. was, you know, we called him Shrub when he was, you know, that was Molly Ivins calling him <laughs> that in, in Texas. And I covered that dumbass when he was the governor of Texas. And, and the first time, the first time I interviewed him was in Westlaco at his office. And I could have sworn he had, you know, like white powder under his nose. And he was, you know, so, I mean, all of those, but still, all that being said, there was, there was some sort of veneer. To it was the a baseline. Yeah, that right? no longer exists. And I mean, and I think that, you know, Newt Gingrich is responsible, is part of it. And I, I think Ronald Reagan is part of it. And I think it's been a march down the ladder over the last 40 years. And you're yep. right, Donald Trump is not, he, he's a symptom of it, but he's taken advantage of it to at lengths and destroyed and removed that thin veneer of civility and exposed our government as being just a third world. We're just a third. At this point in time, we're not the great democracy that we pretend to be. And no, I think- it's a banana republic. Yeah. And I think um, when Trump said drain the swamp, I, I think he, he, at the end of the day, I think he meant, well, I'm not going to drain it, but look at all the animals in my swamp. That's- well, I actually did. I think he did. He did mean drain it so he could fill it up with his preferred swamp creatures, you know, like <laughs> swamp creatures he could control. But this is, you know, this is this is the the poor calculation the Republican Party has made over and over again. You know, they they let the Tea Party idiots um, kind of hijack uh, election, you know, by putting in candidates um, so that mainstream Republicans couldn't uh, win in primaries. So the Republican Party drifted further and further to the right because people like Mitch McConnell thought that they control the monster they created and now the monster is controlling them and they thought the same thing with Donald. I mean, come on, it's just right. not, it's not gonna happen. Um, and yeah, here we are. Uh, Cacistocracy, kleptocracy, banana republic. Yeah, that's- that's uh, soon to be oligarchy and apartheid state and Christian theocracy. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Those there people is. are scary, if nothing else, because they gave us the missionary position. But that's another <laughs> um, different matter entirely. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Do you, do you think? And and I know this is hard to assess, but do you think that the book that you've written will in any way help the republic heal itself? Do you hope for that? You know, that, that, that's another one of those things you can't possibly know beforehand. Um, and I actually, I, I, I'm actually beginning to think it might help um, because of the response, because people are reading it, because um, people still want to talk to me. <laughs> um, and if that's the case, Oh, and also it's going to drive him crazy a little bit, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, which is all to the good. But, you know, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's going to take a lot of, a lot of things. 
but if if my book is part of it then that's that that's really gratifying yeah i think what you said about um there everyone i've ever spoken to uh, about him yeah your book's going to drive him nuts but it's the continued pressure from everyone uh you i mean even scarmucci coming out and saying that he screwed the republican party and made it a minor party for the next generation because it, all of those things against the Donald drive him nuts. Well, yeah, and that's been my theory all along. It will never be one thing. And the problem has been, and I think we talked about this last time, is that nothing has stuck because I guess people don't understand how flooding the zone works, but it finally feels like things are sticking and we need to pile on. Like, I can't say that enough. Like, that's the strategy. Scaramucci and Michael Cohn's book is coming out apparently, and uh, Larry Rochelson's book is coming out, and um, somebody else, I can't remember who, is coming out with a book. Um, <clears throat> all of that, plus all of the other, I mean, the horrible things that are happening on a daily basis should be enough. Uh, but apparently it's not enough that hundreds and sometimes thousands of Americans are dying every day needlessly. I, um, I can't even understand that. Between you and me, I don't get it. 160,000 dead, 5 million cases of this virus, and it all was, if, if you follow his logic, if, if there is a logic, but when he said it was preventable, the Chinese could have prevented it, okay, well, that means at some point in time, we could have prevented it, which means you failed a, as the president. And and that, it's just a... a never-ending amount of dog whistles without logic at some point in time i would think even members of his base would wake up and go what the fuck i'm crazy but i'm not that fucking crazy yeah but they are and you would think that anybody with a child at this point but anyone with a child anybody with a parent anybody with a a loved one a cousin a you know a friend i mean or how about just like a human being yeah you know i i i was talking to a friend of mine and i said you know for selfish reasons, um, I'm worried because New York is doing okay. And I don't want people coming from Arkansas or Arizona or Florida to New York. So we have to like our numbers start going up. But also I actually care about people. I don't want people dying anywhere. No. Even if I don't know them, even if they're Republican. I mean, seriously, Jesus, like the fact that people are even, you know, talking about this in a partisan way is insane. Um, but it just shows you like how far we've fallen. Um, you know, as soon as mask wearing became politicized, we were screwed. Right. Well, I, I think we were screwed at the moment when he started making fun of a, a, a reporter who had, you know, a cerebral. Yeah, Serge Kovaleski, I know. Yeah. That, that. I mean, look, we've been screwed for a really long time, but, you know, and I think a lot of it is um, toxic masculinity. The problem is men feel weak wearing a mask. They think it's, 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 what was the word I saw somebody say? Um, that it was wimpy to what, there you go. I feel happy with mine. <laughs> I would, I leave, I don't leave my house without having three masks on my face. I, I wear, I, the one I have that I'm wearing tomorrow at the White House is one that has Trump's face on it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you should just strap a copy, a cover of my book to your face. Yeah, well, that would, well I, I walked in with your book last week 
<laughs> and I was in the, I was in lower press and I was walking through, I go, man, you got to read this. this is <laughs> I appreciate the plug. Uh, that's hysterical. But, oh, so what I was saying is like some guy was quoted as saying that like washing hands makes you a wimp. I'm like that. No, it makes you disgusting. It makes you a disgusting human being. So when did like, seriously, when did stuff like that get gendered? So bizarre. <laughs> So bizarre. Well, particularly because the president is a bit of a germaphobe. I don't know about that. You don't? You don't think well, so? How can you be a germaphobe and have unprotected sex with strangers? <laughs> well, I'm like serious. I think seriously, I think it was just a way to you know, not to have to shake hands with people. Because oh, I never yeah. saw it. You would think if like if I would have noticed. I had no idea. So you don't even think that's a good point. I have noticed him not wanting to shake hands. And I always thought that, you know, well, maybe he just doesn't like to shake hands. He hates people, of course. <laughs> oh, well, all right. <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing. Like, you know, with the virus, he can't shake hands anymore. So he's probably like, oh, awesome. <laughs> but he doesn't. That's the other thing. I do question the germophobia part because he comes out in that press briefing room. And I'm telling you, and he's due out here in what about 45 minutes which means he'll be out in about an hour and a half but it because uh, he never does anything on time which That's petty it's just petty make the peasants wait yeah i mean he's made us wait out in that uh out in the rose garden for an hour in the you know 110 degree heat and he don't care but, nope. it, but he'll come out into the briefing room and look he's he's about six feet away from the front row he's not wearing a mask so i can't find well, i don't I don't understand that. I, I, I mean, isn't he afraid he's going to get it? Or no, no, what no, it's not. Um, because um, acknowledging that you might be able to get something like that would be to acknowledge weakness. Ah. So is he, do you think he's taking any extraordinary, you know, uh, any extraordinary precautions not to, to get it? Or Clearly he's not. I mean, if he were, he'd be wearing a mask <laughs> and social distancing. How dare you use logic? <laughs> I, damn it. Was How dare like you that. use logic? Sorry. Uh, but he's had people in his office who have gotten it. And I don't get that. Well, that's also, that actually worries me more because if he's continually not getting it, despite having been around so many people who have, it's going to make him, give him the sense of invincibility and superiority and you know he only cares if he gets it. He doesn't care if anybody else gets right. it. So as long as he can get it, eh, whatever. I can only imagine. Like I can only imagine how many of the peoples around him have gotten it from him because he was like an asymptomatic carrier or something. Mm -hmm. he doesn't wear a mask. Yeah, he doesn't do a lot of that. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> So if you thought any about what I said last time about a story that's not in your book that you could tell me. I have, and I, I, I honestly couldn't think of anything. But, I mean, this is, it, he was in one of my dreams. I'd, before, a long time ago, when I was a kid, he was in two of my dreams that I remember. I remember my dreams really well, and both of these were very bad nightmares. And, <laughs> yeah. The first one was way too complicated, but the second one... He was, we were in the library at my grandparents' house with no books. And um, he was standing in the middle of the room in his blue suit, white shirt, red tie. 
and it's like he was his shirt was glowing and he just seemed larger than and i was like a teenager when i had this dream and he was just standing there like glowing <laughs> it was very weird so i left him to go into the kitchen and on my way into the kitchen when i got to the breakfast room the house got hit by a tornado and killed me instantly wow yeah right it's the only dream i've ever died in and it was right after being in the same room with donald make of it what you will <laughs> well i i've never had him in a dream i would call it a nightmare too I, yeah well also i died so yeah that, that would do it yeah. pretty nightmarish but now as for the other thing you know i i he just like we didn't really have a personal like he was there I was there. Um, and other than the kind of general interactions, like playing ball and stuff like that, it's not like he sat down with me and talked to me about stuff, you know? Did he ever seem like he was a, a, an athlete? Was he a, I mean, no? No, I mean, he could throw a ball really hard, but I was six. So, you know, he could have been throwing it 10 miles an hour. <laughs> it probably it would been, still yeah. would have hurt. But no, not particularly. Like, but then he was in his 20s. He was already chubby. Um, and oh, I have, it's not a story about me, actually. But he and Robert, they were in their late 20s, maybe early 30s. And they had a bet to see who could lose the most weight in a week. Because both of them were starting to pack on the pounds. Um, so Donald, like, starved himself all week long to lose weight. And Rob didn't do anything differently, except the morning of the weigh-in, it was summer, it was a hot day. He went for a really, really, really long run. <laughs> so he lost all his water weight and uh, he won. <laughs> and Donald was not happy because he'd been like eating, I was gonna say lettuce, but that's incredibly unlikely. But he wasn't eating what, you know, he wasn't eating hamburgers and stuff like that. So he, he was not, he was. <laughs> That's hilarious. Right? Well, also because at the time, Rob was still, you know, he was an avid soccer player. He was actually a really good soccer player. And by then, like, Donald wasn't running anywhere, you know? Right. <laughs> Just the fact that Robert could do that. And it was run off and lose about five pounds. If you yeah. lose five pounds in a week, man, you're doing all right. <clears throat> but worst part of this lockdown for me is I had lost a lot of weight and I'm gaining it back. It's impossible. Like a friend of mine was beating herself up. I'm like, you and everybody else, on, like, how do you not? Because honestly, even if you're doing everything right, the stress of this existence is unbearable and inescapable. Comfort food. And that's, yeah. But not even, like, I'm not eating particular. It's stress. It's like the, the, the chemicals, like, flooding your system because, you know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, comfort food too. But like, even if you're not eating particularly badly, First of all, we're more sedentary, yep. I think. And, um, you know, just being stressed out of your mind, like every second of the day. <laughs> well, and he doesn't add to that. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, he adds to the stress. He doesn't take away from it. No, he does. No, he makes it worse. <clears throat> and that's ow, like, ow, ow, ow. Sorry, hang on. Right. Well, nice bike in the back. Does he even have a stationary bike there? Oh, man. Sorry, he just bit my, my ankle. Oh, your your bird bit your ankle? Yeah, I guess he was not getting enough attention from me. <laughs> I 
How dare I speak to you? <laughs> hey, mom. <laughs> that really hurt too. So sorry. Don't don't put that on YouTube. No, <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> we have a dog like that. We have a Jack Russell Terrier, and she oh, yeah. like it when I get into bed at night. And she growls and barks. How dare you? Yeah, this is, <laughs> and she's weird. sleeping on my side of the bed. It kind of happens every night. You think they get used every to... night? Well, they're they're pretty. Um, <clears throat> they have their little idiosyncrasies, don't the Jack yeah, Russell? And, and and she's my wife's dog, so I mean, she oh, oh, definitely you. doesn't like dad being around. <laughs> she's jealous. <laughs> yep, it happens. Only thing is, is I'm bigger than her, so I growl back at her. <laughs> She looks at me like, I want to bite you, but... Yeah, you're growling at me. I'm sure that's really going to smooth things over if you guys just keep growling <laughs> at each other. Ah, now you got me snorting. <laughs> well, uh, what I want to do is is take a look at what I've got over these two interviews and then uh, come back with a third one and, and see where we are and, and sure. clean up some things. Yeah. And, and if there's anything that you want to add, please, is there anything that you want to add? that we haven't talked about? I can't think of anything, but if I do, I'll, I'll just send you an email. Okay. Well, I really appreciate it, Mary. It's a lot of fun. No, this is, the, this is actually really fun for me too, because it's, I don't know, so many of these things are like really stayed and serious and boring because people ask me the same friggin' questions as if, you know, the only thing of interest is like the SATs and his uh, commenting on my appearance. Which the president has commented on what is your response to his appearance comment? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Don't get me started. <clears throat> I had to watch a, the one guy I can't stand anymore is Chuck Todd. Uh, anymore? Uh, He's repulsive on every level. And why does he have a job? What he does is not journalism. I would, ha I would, if I, I grew up watching that show and I, and I go, God, why? You, some hello. I, I, I confess, if there's one job in the media I want, that would be it. And that, and that think about work. how much you could do with that job. Yeah. And meanwhile, he has friggin' Peter Navarro saying the Lord and the founders came up with executive orders to overcome uh, the uh, Democrat obstruction. And Chuck Todd's like, oh yeah, tell me more. Yeah, I'll, I'll take your, when he says, I'll take your point on that, I'm going, I wouldn't take his point on anything. What, the what, what, what point? That, it, that he, Peter Navarro is insane? Yeah. Which and a shameless liar you Lord? About? Is this Lord Vishnu? Is it, it I mean, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Hello. I don't know. It was just, a, I mean. I, I, that, that, that one just, and you know, he's, He's terrible. I've been on his show, and I don't, and, and I, and I don't, I couldn't. I was polite to him. I try to be polite to these people because they're, you know, they're in the business. But I, he said something, and I just looked at him. I go, "You've got to be kidding me!" And he goes, "But," and, and he had this attitude like, "Well, who are you to tell me?" I'm going, "Well, a, I'm older and have more experience, and I'm smarter than you, and you're an idiot." But you right, and that's the thing. It's like Dunning Kruger again. He's so full of himself that it's like the guy never, I'm sure he's never thought he was wrong a day in his life. And he's terrible. He's terrible for journalism. Well, I think it's because he's, I think he's got a huge insecurity. Oh yeah. In him. Yeah. He's got that short person thing. And he's also, you know, because he, uh, of his college background, I think. And, and he has really bad hair. I, what is that? 
I know. I look at him and Mark Zuckerberg, and I'm like, just let it grow, <laughs> and then figure something out down the road. Well, Zuckerberg, I'm not sure Zuckerberg's human. He looks like an alien. Yeah. I, no, he looks like he's got a Lego head, just like Mike Pence. It's like Lego hair. Uh, Mike Pence is an idiot. That he, yes, he is, and he's he's evil. Yeah, well, Perfect combination. He, you know, I I've known him for a long time. In fact, I. Sorry. I know. I interviewed him when he was in college, and he had this college right-wing radio station in Indiana, and I was covering Southern Indiana for the Courier-Journal Louisville Times, and I met him somewhere. I can't remember where it was, and I came away thinking, it's not that he's evil. It's that he's so fucking stupid that, he's, <laughs> that he thinks that what he says, I mean, he said something, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. He goes, you know, and he looked at me with this, like, God wants us to be happy. And, I'm, and I looked at him like, well, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> it, 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 does and God also, who exactly? Because clearly not the gays. Yeah, that's, well, I think he's a queen. <laughs> oh, my God. That I agree with. Yeah. I think, and, Maybe Donnie, too. Maybe Donnie. Yeah. Right. I, I, yeah, and I have a friend of mine. Do you ever listen to Randy or watch Randy Rainbow? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, yes. <laughs> Randy, Randy, he he's convinced that that both of them are are closeted. But and yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me um, because it would be like the perfect. Yeah, it it makes perfect sense to me, and it's hard to know. Yeah, it could be both of them. Yeah, I, that I, happens. Pence, I've always gotten that vibe from. And I think he's so messed up in his head. I mean, mother, really? Oh, just so you know, my grandparents refer to each other as mother and father as well. And whenever that happens, you know something's deeply, deeply, deeply wrong. Wait a minute, wait a minute. All right, stop. <laughs> Your grandparents refer to each other as mother and father? Yep. Yep. And my grandfather, he rarely called her by her name. Toots was probably the most common one, but mother and even worse sometimes he would call her mother like ah it's horrible mother but yeah she called him father he called her mother or mother wow that's that is a little uh, the toots part (laughs) damn hey toots you would think that would be the worst thing but it wasn't (laughs) That, that reminds me of a bad george carlin routine (laughs) <laughs> Toots, a bad George? Yes. <laughs> well, a good one, but <laughs> I can't even say it anymore. But because, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, mm, mm, I wonder how I wonder how George Carlin and Richard Pryor and how some of the other people would take what we're going through today. I don't. I, I we miss. I them. think they'd be too depressed. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> Comedians are like, please make it stop. Yeah, just, there's nothing funny. Nothing yeah. funny. You can't even. Well, I have friends who are comedians, and they're upset because you know you can't make fun of anything anymore with uh, how people accusing you of being, you know, <clears throat> that which you are not. And it, it, you know. Oh man, this is a dark, deep hole we're in, but hopefully we'll we're. Out. We'll get we'll out of it. Overcome, hopefully. If nothing, we'll just turn your bird loose, and they'll bite everybody in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Donald? Here, go. <laughs> He's hiding under the resolute desk, weeping. 
Oh, that would, uh, I, we, I, I have been in the uh, Oval Office once since he's been president and it's not, I, I, I left it. I, I, I tell you, I left it just really depressed. Oh my God. It made me so sad. It was nothing like I thought of it just because he like demeans everything. Yeah. 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 That's, and I, I feel like he's, you know, demeaning for the entire country, but what, what do I know? Uh, you know a lot. <laughs> well, listen, I'll, I'll let you, I appreciate your time, Maria. I, I'll My get back brother. to you. Um, either want to try and finish if you've got some more time this week or maybe next. Um, yeah, I mean, so far, like they haven't overscheduled me this week, which is really nice. So I might even be like, I'm almost certain unless things change that I have a fair amount of time on Thursday. That would Friday. be Thursday and fr or Friday might be good. Uh, okay. Tuesday, yeah. Friday I'm busy from like one to four, but other than that, I'm good to go. Okay. Tuesdays and Wednesdays are usually my real busy days, deadline days and in the white house days. And, right. and then, you know, it takes me till noon Thursday to decompress from all that yeah, and I imagine. You know, drink heavily and pretend like I'm not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was at the white house. You know, you, you used to say, I used to be so happy. You know, it's like, I get to go to the White House. And now it's like, oh, God, I got to go to the White House. And yeah, nobody's allowed to be happy. No. Nobody. I feel bad for the kids. I'll tell you that, that work there, that they don't know. What a horror. Could you imagine thinking that that's how things are supposed to be? That's what I'm uh, really worried about for members of the press and for the, the young members of his staff who think, well, this is normal. And, and it's not. And um, I just hope that they don't take away from that, that this is the way you should act. Right. Because I'm sure there are going to be some manipulative little young shits. Yep. <clears throat> We're going to use this in the future to try and, and further manipulate the system. And this system cannot take that kind of manipulation. This is, this is it. This is as far as we can really take it. it. Is. No, this, it, it's all got to be burned down to the ground. And I mean that actually in a very constructive way. We need, you know, yeah. we need to just. It, and people like, people like the Donald should never be allowed to be in office. You know, when people say, used to say, anybody can grow up to be president. I always assumed that there was implied in that anybody who works really hard does well in school, cares about other people, and serves his or her country in some capacity. I didn't realize they literally meant anybody. You know, we've got this guy. All right, he's in a coma. <laughs> but, but he oh, that would be uh, so much better. Yeah, well, he's, uh, you know, I, I, I shudder to think what would happen if he actually spent um, as much time in the Oval Office as he does on the back nine. Oh, 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 we'd be, we'd be, we'd be really screwed. I mean, that's no. the, other, the, the, the lying that gets to me the most is like when they, you know, I was it Mark Meadows or I can't remember who it was who says, or maybe it was Navarro said, this is the hardest working president ever. Bill, Bill Barr said that two days ago. Bullshit. Bill Barr. Look, they're not, he's never in <clears throat> the Marine Corps guard walks out in front of the West Wing when the president is there. And I've been covering this president for three and a half years, and I can tell you that that guy is rare. In the first six months of his administration, he was there less than usual, but not a whole lot less. Now, if that Marine Corps guard comes out there 
for 15 minutes a day. It's, it's amazing. And it's, it, and it's only the 15 minutes before the president shows up to do a press conference or a brief. And that, those things, I can't. I can't, I can't. <laughs> I know I want to drink. Ah, yeah, that's try not to, but it's very hard. Yeah, it's very hard. Well, see, it's the stress. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's very hard. And he hasn't taken away from any of it. So anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> he's no. only added to my stress level. That's right. Uh, so let me. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll send you an email when. Yeah, and like I said, if I think of anything, I'll email you. But uh, yeah, just let me know when. And uh, and next time we. Oh well, I can talk briefly, but next time we do have to talk about. Ted and Ann. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Have, have you spoken to him recently? Uh, you know, just a couple of things. Not, not, uh, not actually on the phone. We text a couple of times uh, now and then. Um, I actually have to call Andy about something, but no, I just, I love both of them. Oh, Ted, the, uh, I was in LA last year when Ted was getting an award and uh, I had my picture taken with him with my press pass that he saved for me. And uh, right. I, I love him to death, and and yeah. both, and the, they are so good at what they do. Yeah, and actually, um, I I have a a condo on Cape Cod, and um, I said, Annie, you know, if you guys ever want to stay, so they actually just stayed at my place, and I'm like, finally, there's something I can give back a little bit, yeah. you know, because like they've just been so generous. I can't even like it's indescribable how generous they've been but also like how that sort of helped restore my faith that there are people like that in the world Me because too. it's easy to forget sometimes. Well, and that was when I was going through this thing and they, you know, hell, I'm still going through it. I mean, they were, they may, they've gotten until the 19th, I think Friday to file a brief if they're going to appeal the decision again. And well, look, there, there's not anything else important going on in the country right now. So I think that's a perfect wise perfectly why they're wasting you know government money our tax money doing bullshit that they're going to lose and have lost but it it it, when i talked to ted and i said ted and i called him up the day that i got uh notice i had been at the white house and in fact had asked trump a question on the south lawn and he had answered it and he had, we had had a give and take. He actually answered a question. He was, you know, one of the few times where he was actually, you know, semi-polite. And um, when he wasn't making fun of somebody else, that is. And uh, so I get in, uh, um, I was taking the Metro to see my wife and a couple of friends for drinks. And I got an email notice that I've, you know, I'm banned from the White House. So I called my buddy, Jim. And I said, Jim, you know, I met your attorney at the awards that the Playboy, uh, we, the First Amendment awards that the uh, Hefner Foundation gave was to Ted. And I said, <clears throat> I, I think I'm gonna need somebody. He goes, not a problem. He gave me Ted's number, I called him. He was like right back with me. And I said, Ted, I, I don't know what Playboy is going to do. I don't know how they're gonna support me. I don't have, you know, I'm not the richest guy in the world, but he, he said, Brian, don't worry about a thing. And he was, I, I, he has been right there in my corner ever since. And Playboy, of course, you know, picked up the tab, which was nice. But right. uh, the, he's, him and Annie have been just great. And and that's the thing about them. I mean, these are people who, you know, are so successful. They're at the top of their field. They're at the top of their game. They answer their own cell phones. I know. 
I have, I am working with people right now who are not Ted and Annie and they're like, have their assistant call me to make an appointment to have a phone call in like a week. And then when that happens, they have their assistant call me and then connect us. I'm like, okay, I can't take you seriously. That's I, well, they take themselves too seriously. And Ann and, and, and uh, Ted are always been there and have never, you know, good people, solid people, hardworking people and care. And the yep. thing that I really appreciate about them is they get it. Yeah. They understand it. They get it. They know what the problems are. They know what the solutions are and they're willing yep. to help people out. Man, I tell you what, that makes a hell of a difference. And especially going through what the country's going through right now, like you said, they kind of restored my faith in humanity. Yeah. I mean, I literally, this is not, a, this is not an exaggeration. I do not know what I would have done if it hadn't, if they hadn't been in my lives since the beginning of this nightmare, almost the beginning. It's incredible. How'd you come across them? I actually have to go, but I will tell you that story next time. Okay. It's kind of a long story, okay. uh, but I had to get, I have I had to deal with college crisis. Oh, please. That's more important than, <laughs> I put three of them through it. I know what that's like. Thanks again for joining us at Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Catch you next time.